0: This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. ...in the street, and it's far easier to appear cool with the latest haircut than through coming out as trans. By virtue of being mentally ill and being in therapy for more than half my life, I'm confident that being trans is not a mental illness, and also the fact that if I did somehow hate women and not know it, my therapist would call me up on that one uh, and help me work through it. I love my mother dearly, not in a Freudian way, and I do not fear being a butch lesbian, but rather acknowledge all the ways in which I do not fit that category. If my partner was here right now, I would point to him and uh, he'd probably give you a little wave. And as for being a freak of nature or desperate to deny its truth, I don't understand how being true to my own nature goes against it. That's a circle I can't square. Thank you.
1: Do you know if you're... Is it
2: my go? It is your go. <laughs> this bit's called What Gender Did First. With technical or high-definition hindsight, it's clear my own struggles with gender started the day I was born into a world he had already done a real number on. So it's necessary to go back to the start. Jesus knows I did not want to write a memoir. I think you should be over 80 before you are allowed to write a memoir, unless, number one, you are a former Spice Girl... Or, number two, you have in some way shaped or changed the course of history or society. Like the Spice Girls. (laughs) I do not claim to be or have done any of these things. For me, slap bang in the middle of my gender transition, transitioning is actually incredibly tedious. In fact, I'd give just about anything to have a day off, to be honest. That being said, number one, childhood stories are relatable and I really want you to like me. Number two, gender is a total paedophile. Gender fucks kids. I was fucked by gender as a kid. You were fucked by gender, and it happened when you were a kid. Therefore, grudgingly, I accept we might need to explore my childhood in order to understand how I became the most beautiful transsexual in Hove. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. When I was little, every night, I would lie in bed and make a deal with God. If I'm good, tomorrow can I be a girl? Gender slept at the foot of my bed, curled up in a ball like a contented cat. It was a vivid goal. Each morning, I would reach up to see if there was a thick chestnut Tiffany-Ambotheus and hair spilling across the pillar, only to be bitterly disappointed. I didn't get it. I'd been good. Mostly. As a small child, I was the architect of an elaborate inner fantasy world. In this parallel universe, I'd have been born Katie Rebecca Dawson. That is the name I'd have been given if I'd been born biologically female. I did not like this name. I do not like this name, which is why I'm now called Juno. Kate, if I'd have been forced, would have had long blonde hair and dark eyebrows. (laughs) I don't know who I based her on physically, but there's something about blondes, isn't there? We treat them a bit differently, just as little girls, which they prefer, Anna or Elsa. It's possible Kate was somewhat modelled on the cartoon character Tara from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Kate, in the dream, was never a little girl. Weirdly, even as a child, I was never into childish things. I grew up on Neighbours and Round the Twist and a Grove. Children were crap, but teenagers were cool, and I wanted to be one. Kate Dawson was born aged 14. I didn't think living a vivid alternate life was especially unusual. I thought everybody longed to be somebody else. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's start at the very, very beginning, before I was even born. You might suspect that I'm hiding, shielding or protecting some aspects of my childhood. That would be because I am hiding, shielding and protecting parts (laughs) of my childhood. Since the 90s and the success of both reality television and misery memoirs, we as consumers have come to expect limitless access into each other's lives. If I'm standing here telling my story for money, I should be ready, willing, and able to drag a knife across my belly and spill the entirety of my guts with a smile on my face, because this is how we get people to like us. We share things. A while back, I had a meeting with some TV producers who were interested in my journey, trademark. While most had honorable intentions, and one was very much on the same page as me in terms of my gender destruction quest, the general consensus was that we needed an angle. Very quickly little needling fingers were prying into my childhood. Was I sad? Did I try to commit suicide? Was I abused? What 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 were my parents like? It felt like eels writhing around in oil and I came away from these meetings feeling decidedly grubby. Into every woman's life I suppose comes the moment where she must answer the question, how much of your soul are you prepared to sell to become rich and famous? You can be one or the other, or both, but neither without a degree of sacrifice. Would I exploit my mother for an hour of droopy, emotionally manipulative television where Holly (laughs) Willabilly or somebody asks, do you feel like James has died? (laughs) (laughs) Have you mourned James? We won't be doing that. And I won't be doing it in this book either. It's not a misery memoir because I'm not miserable. I was not a miserable child. If you are in some way disappointed that my mother didn't try to burn me with cigarettes or sell me to a pimp for crack, I'd politely suggest you indulge in a spot of therapy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank
1: you. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I have many, many questions, um, but before we begin, I have to ask the audience a question, which is, does anybody have a watch I can borrow? Should I realize this is have slightly a intrusive? Perfect. Uh, there's a clock at the back, but I can't quite make out the... Just press the home button. Thank button. you very much. I just don't want to... thank you very much. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so let's start then. I think probably before we can really begin kind of getting to grips with, with the conversation that we might want to have, with defining our terms. Um, because this is um if there's one thing that I've kind of learned in reading these books and thinking about these questions it's that language is actually really important here Mm -hmm. and what we mean when we talk about gender when we talk about sex when we talk about male and female men and women um is important um and is also contested Mm -hmm. I think so I'd be I'd be interested I mean I think gender is the gender is probably the most straightforward one in that I think um in both of your books there is a consensus that it is a construction it's a social construction this is something that is that is um placed on us rather than something that is biological to you know to introduce one of the terms that we might want to discuss a bit further Um, but if we're kind of happy to sort of park gender and say we all agree what we mean about gender can we talk about sex
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can try, we can. but we haven't got much time. And <laughs> that is one of the crucial problems, is mm. when we when we try to talk about what sex is, that seems like something that should be really easy, right? Because we get taught that it's really, really easy, that we have sex hormones, we get divided as testosterone and estrogen, and we have sex chromosomes, XX and XY, and we have male and female. Um, I... Desperately I'm not trying to sell the book but I've got a chapter on it in here and the chapter introduction is it's skimming the surface of this enormous ocean of historical data of current scientific debate uh, of things we're learning all the time. So uh, a new Mm -hmm. development that came in the last couple of years is the knowledge that women who carry sons, if they have XX chromosomes and the son has an XY chromosome, those XY chromosomes actually travel through the placenta into the mother's body and will come and lodge in the brain. We don't actually know what that does now, but we just know that there are many women walking around who have both XX and XY chromosomes. Um, So my short answer is that sex is a gendered concept for the ways in which our bodies are potentially capable of sexual reproduction, and how we talk about that depends on which culture we come from. It depends on the age in which we live, and it often depends on which research we've read or which particular theory we want to mm. we want to come across.
2: I mean, biology is a mm-hmm. stick
0: that I've been clobbered
2: with. I'm mm. guessing you've probably been clobbered with it. Yeah, um, we're on Twitter, um, <laughs> and but the problem is, it's like. Gen, um, sex as a biological construct it's like a very loosely knitted woolly jumper mm. and if you even vaguely pull on that thread mm. the whole sweater falls to pieces mm. and so you know you know the whole it's adam and eve kind of crew you know as soon as you kind of say but, but what about intersex people mm. or what about people with chromosomal Disorders or people who, you know, women who are carrying a lot of testosterone. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there, there is a quite a high profile woman who just in a random blood test that the doctor was quite taken aback. Like, mm. you have more testosterone in your body than like a six foot three bodybuilder yeah. on steroids. You know, this <laughs> is, I don't understand how you were able to give birth to children. You have mm-hmm. such a huge amount of testosterone in your system. And so, th- as soon as you even interrogate the idea of, xx and xy there's huge differences out there and i think you know when people come at you with biological determinism Mm. it's Mm. it really is a last resort because it's such thin ice Mm. you know i don't know if you've watched that leaked episode of game of thrones yet but it's that (laughs) it's that you're gonna go through the ice
0: (laughs) and i think the critical point actually which i'm sure Jiro and i have both experienced you know I have several friends who are uh, (laughs) endocrinological. (laughs) Do you think that's not me? Oh, (laughs) Lord. That word, yeah, hormonal uh, biologists and and several biologists specializing in the science of sex. And I got them to read through this. And they said, yeah, it's okay, but you've left out a lot of the really... You know, there's so Mm. much more you could have said. And yet you have someone on Twitter who has never studied science comes at you going, yeah, well, biologically, you're wrong. And you think, oh, God, (laughs) you know, this is just... Mm it's embarrassing really and one of the things that
1: i took from your
0: book because you you go into
1: the history of it more Mm -hmm. which was absolutely fascinating um and the fact that you know this is the idea of a kind of binary um division of the sexes is a fairly modern Mm. um modern construct and and is kind of geographically (coughs) specific and you know in other parts of the world it's it's viewed differently um which you know casts everything in, in a whole new light and then makes one wonder what Went on that meant that this was such an attractive mm. proposition that we say there are men and there are women and that's it. And who was benefiting from that when that kind of you know there came about? A lot of
0: scholarship coming about talking about the rise in industrialization mm. and mm. the economic necessity of being able to talk about two different classes of people who did two very different jobs and could be structured in such a way that fit with Victorian ideas of categorization. Mm -hmm. So if we look at Victorian ideas of scientific endeavor and also how you classify human beings, you see an awful lot of here is one group of people, here's another group of people, uh, this group of people are XXX, this group of people Mm -hmm. are XXXX, you know, X for a certain character type. And it was the idea they had to be fit fit into very small boxes. Anyone interested, there's a book uh, called The Medical Invention of Sex by Alice Drager, and she talks an awful lot about this particular Victorian route into uh, gender binaries, including a lot of French doctors getting very upset that women coming in with full beards had managed to give birth to children, (laughs) um, and it's really fascinating. Uh, But I think A a more general point is life is scary and life is big and unknowable. And having something in our lives that we can say, yeah, but fundamentally it's this and it's simple, it makes a lot of us a lot easier. And I can think so many many things in my life that are easier if I say, Mm. oh, yeah, well, music is just universal and this is just great and everyone loves this. And it's just not the case, but it's frightening.
2: I would say, I think as well
0: that I
2: don't think there's many heterosexual cisgender white men who have given a lot of thought to why they are the way they are Mm. and it feels like digging around for excuses to exist in society is the pastime often of minority or oppressed groups like what makes you gay what makes you bi Mm. what makes you trans shouldn't matter we're just here you know I didn't need a reason for you to accept me Mm -hmm. because I'm telling you this is the way I've always felt I don't need science you can either believe me Mm. or at the very least accept me because I'm not a (laughs) fan of being tolerated Mm. or or you can do one I shouldn't need a little (laughs) GCSE pamphlet you know kind of like Mm. Like, like A-level biology, do you know is transgender? Which of the following describes why she exists? Just, <laughs> she's mad, she hates her mum. she yeah. hates women. You know, it's just she's kind going, of like yeah. none of the above. So it's, yeah, I just, I'm just not into it. And I must admit, since finishing the gender games, you should definitely buy it, it's brilliant. But since <laughs> since having finished the gender games, I've sort of realized you shouldn't have done that because actually you've kind of, in a way you've tried to justify yourself in a way that mm. actually, no, again, straight, cisgender person has ever really had to do that. You know, Jeremy Clarkson's book of why I am the way I am. He's, j- he's just allowed to talk about the things he's good yeah. at, which is being a dick. Yeah. I, as a trans woman, have to talk about being trans. Mm. Whereas actually what I'm good at is metallic fashions. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that's what I'm good at today. So, But I'm very proud yeah. of the gender games. But I, yeah, in a, in a, some, strangely, my inner thinking has slightly changed mm. and I must admit I've slightly, you'll note that I haven't had a t- Twitter spat for about six months now and feel so much better for it because yeah. I'm just not getting into it anymore. Just like just, I don't have to justify myself to yeah. you. But
1: I think there is something um, about the times that we're living in and I think, um, you know, for for any, we, we're going through a period now where transgenderism is becoming, I hope, um, Something that people are aware of in a way that perhaps they weren't, um, are accepting of, are interested in. And I guess that, you know, in the same way that during, um, let's say, the black civil rights movement, um, there was a a need for people to stand up and say, this is my experience. Because there had not you know, that experience had not been represented. I wonder whether, you know, either or both of you felt that there... There was a sort of a, a degree of sort of kind of social responsibility, or that you felt a, a responsibility to the trans community, mm-hmm. or you know, I mean, sort of particularly with your, book, you know, um, you know, to to all of us in terms of, you know, a talking little. about gender in the way in which it is a, it's a, you know, an, an oppressive. Yeah, thing. and I mean,
2: a lot of, you know, I'm people often ask who are your role models, and I'm like literally any trans person who was out before 2005 kind of because that was some real brave new world territory and looking back at the April Ashleys and Caroline Cossies you know these are legends um and again as detailed in the book I grew up in West Yorkshire in a very small mill town um (laughs) that makes my life sound so like from the Victorian (laughs) well it was we had colour TV it was fine but um (laughs) but um On the colour TV, I wasn't seeing trans people. And, you know, I was just asked by Radio 4 for the... It's obviously however many years... How many is it since... 50 50. years since the post decriminalisation of male homosexuality in the UK and Wales, uh, in England (laughs) and Wales. And so they've had us all in. We've all been wheeled out to talk about our (laughs) queer icons. Um, I was actually in reception with Scotty and Jack Monroe, and they were like, I wonder if we'll be here this time next year. No. Um... And they said, Right, we want you to come on and talk about your trans role model. And I was like, Right, okay, which sort of like, which ancient Greek poet shall I talk about? And then I was like, Actually, I've changed my mind. Can I do Nadia from Big Brother? Um, <laughs> to keep it lowbrow. Because actually, seeing Nadia or Andrea Pedic, the model, or, you know, the cast of My Transsexual Summer on Channel 4 was so critical for me in understanding that. Transgender people are real. They live in places like you. They look like you. They sound like you. They behave like you because you are one of them as well. It enabled me to recognise myself. And those people had kind of put themselves out there in a media in particular, which was a freak show, and it treated them like freaks. And so I was like, well, if they were able to do that 10 years ago, and if Nadia and Andrea were prepared to do that 10 years ago, then you should you should do it too. And there was a choice when I so I started my position about four and a half years ago. There was a choice where I did consider Greta Garboing it and having a couple of years off and then coming back and mm-hmm. doing an Annie Leibovitz photo shoot on <laughs> Vanity Fair. But um <laughs> That's what we do now, isn't it? Um mm. but um then I thought and my, actually strangely my lovely publisher were quite behind that. They were like, if you need to take some time out, mm-hmm. we'll shelve your next book, you're cool But then I'd just done a book called This Book is Gay in 2012. And, you know, I get an email every single day about that book from some 12-year-old in Colombia the other day. I didn't even know you could buy that book in Colombia. And it was kind of like, thank you so much you helped me Mm -hmm. to tell my parents I was a lesbian. And I was kind of like, I would be doing people like that a huge disservice if I then went and did my transition in a Swiss villa (laughs) and and sort of came back and made it look like a makeover because it's Mm -hmm. not a makeover. It's something that affects every element of your life. And so I kind of felt... I didn't feel obliged to the media or to my family, but weirdly I did kind of feel indebted to my my teenage readers, the ones from my YA career.
0: Mm. Mm. And Sian, what about you? Absolutely what Juno said. I mean, it's... If you are involved in the public eye at all as as a trans person, and I've been... When I was a teenager, I set up um, the first nationwide group for young LGBT people in the UK, Um, but did a lot of activism but didn't really have much of a support group myself Mm. uh, and didn't have many resources to go by. I mean, I was really lucky that my parents were were open-minded and they allowed me to order book through the library and and to try and find out more. But I would have killed for some better information and the kids who wrote to me then and then continued to write to me over the years and the parents that write are just calling out for something Mm. that they can hold on to. And then when you start broadening that, it becomes teachers. I'm sure you have teachers writing mm. to you, um, you have employers. I, I do some work with companies on how to sort of support their, their trans employees. And the questions that come through in this idea of like, but how can we find it? How can we find it? And. I think I always thought that I would write a book about gender that was fairly academic <laughs> and and fairly sort of small and probably have one of those terrible academic titles, you know, academic pun colon academic <laughs> pun explained. Um, but uh, but you know, Laura, my agent, um, sort of said, well, let's let's pitch something a bit more, th- you know, something mm. you could read on the train and then actually use what you've learned in a practical sense. And luckily, Virago went, yeah, let's do that, mm. and it. It feels really good to be of use. Like you think mm-hmm. of the times when you were a kid, and you just would have killed to have someone out there going, "It's okay, you're going to be like okay." Service, isn't Absolutely,
2: it? it's like you've almost got to do your <laughs> do your time to hopefully make things better down yeah, the line. You're paying is it. That. You're paying it
0: backwards and you're paying it forwards.
1: Mm-hmm. And it does actually. The, what you were saying there about um, you know presenting children with alternatives and with role models. Mm-hmm. Um, this sort of slightly leads on to my next question, which is that. Um, Although we are happily now in um, in a world where um, transgenderism is much more visible and and uh, much more acceptable, um, without wanting to you know use a word that feels quite uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, It also feels to me, and particularly as a parent of young kids, Mm. that there has never been a time when things have been more divided in terms of toy shops and clothes and all the rest of it. Mm. And you know, and I feel this is a terrible thing to say, but I kind of feel lucky that I have two boys because at least I can buy them the rainbow of colours Mm. when it comes to clothes, rather than just pink. Pink. And that feels like when I was growing up myself in the 1980s, there was a bit of that, but nothing like. To the mm-hmm. extent that it is present now so it's it's interesting to me that these two things appear to be happening in tandem and i wondered what you thought about that
0: um i mean i i wouldn't say i don't believe that they sorry is that still working can you hear me yeah um i in terms of the rise in visibility i think what we're looking at there is the the fruits of a hundred and hundred and, we're really going from the first instance, of the first trans group in, in mm. the Western world, sort of the fruits of 120 years' worth of mm. activism. Uh, we saw an incredible flowering of that before the rise of the Nazi party in Germany, uh, and actually a, uh, yeah. a sort of really quite... Um, we can compare where we are now with where they were then. And they weren't very far behind where we are now. Uh, The Berlin police Mm. gave people permits to carry that reflected their true gender as opposed to the gender they were assigned at birth. You had supportive stories appearing in the media. You had uh, then unsupportive stories appearing in the media and um, people really forging ahead with their lives. Mm. And then we had Nazism, we had the Second World War and everything regressed. So I think we're, we're coming back up again I think the rise in this gendering of children, I wonder how much of it is economic rather than ideological. Mm. And I was looking back through some of my mum's old childhood photos, and you can't see any difference in how she's dressed from her oh. brother, but they grew up with no money, working class people in the Welsh Valley so of mm. course she was wearing the same clothes as her older older sister and then her yeah. younger brother would wear the same clothes and it's very interesting now that we have this desire you know of course you have to dress your children differently so you have to buy two sets of clothes mm. and they can't play with the same toys they have to have two very swanky new toys mm. um I worry capitalism. I kind of think so and uh, you know you oh my god absolutely yeah
2: I did um <coughs> I did a t- say a day I went and spent a morning in Us, Brighton Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know if Toys R Us Brighton is better or worse than any other Toys R Us. <laughs> but th- what's worrying about Toys R Us is Toys R Us is... Yes. I bet you got you in here now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, Toys R Us is the chain that very publicly went out as saying mm-hmm. we, we're not having gender toy shops anymore. Mm-hmm. Girl, please. I mean, you go in yeah. pink other colours yeah. down the middle. They might as well run barbed wire down the middle of that shop. They really ought to. And it's, it is... It's distressing, particularly to see brands like Lego. Whereas Lego of old, little Danish blocks, Lego now, you can buy Lego or Lego World, which is pink. And the Lego airport was £69. The Lego World airport is pink and is £79. And I'm like, which pink airport have you flown out of? I mean, (laughs) I wish there was one. That would be awesome. But um, It's it's just, it's crazy and so depressing and, you know, this kind of nods, oh, we've made, we've made Barbie curvier. I couldn't find her on the shelves. Um, I, I think that possibly existed just for publicity. Mm. If, I, I've not seen these Barbie dolls in real life. Um, so, yeah, it, it's... Although, do you know what? Bear with Spice Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Spice Girls? Spi- because I think before... Deal in your book. The Spice Girls, children dressed as children. And I remember, like, both me and my sister were sort of dressed as children Mm. in like these Mm. outfits that no adult would wear, like little matching like jumper and trouser sets and Mm. little cardigans and things that my grandma had knitted, (laughs) things like that. But then strangely, I think there was something about the Spice Girls where all of a sudden girls wanted to dress like little Spice Girls. Mm. And all of a sudden you started, I think there was, in the 90s, there was a rise in adult clothes made in children's sizes. And now, I did another day, I went shopping for children's clothes and, you know, you find, you know, very Mm, form-fitting, tight, skinny t-shirts for four-year-olds that say sexy babe on. And you're like, like, it's horrific. And that was in Asda. Mm. You know, no four-year-old should be wearing a skinny cut sexy babe crop top it's just difficult to get them in no judgment (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sorry but but it's
1: true i think you know i'd look at sort of the clothes that we've inherited and the clothes even for boys that are you know kind of very kind of tight-fitting it's just impractical but that's a sort of slight (laughs) um, diversion (laughs) something i should perhaps just think about myself um but um i think that what one of the things that um, I really wanted to, to ask you both about, and this, again, sort of slightly leads on from that, is that you're both in a really interesting and unique position of having seen both sides of the gender divide, you know, having been on one side crossed over to the other side. Um, and I would be really interested to hear from you, because, you know, having, you know, I've, I've been a woman all my life, and um, so I've only seen it, you know, from that direction, and I, you know, sort of speaking personally, you know, I went through a very tomboy face when I was a kid I wanted to be George from you know Famous Five etc etc but I still have basically identified as a woman Mm -hmm. but for both of you the fact of having seen it you know, seen the opposite side of it. It must be really interesting and quite revealing. And I'd be interested to know what your insights were. Yeah.
2: Well, that's. I mean, that's another stick. The mm. the what do you, you can't be a woman. You have male privilege. Is the other stick. So there's the two sticks. One is yeah. the biology stick, mm. and the other is the privilege stick. And that's. And you're, this only is a day on Twitter yeah. for me, <laughs> just with those two sticks
1: but coming at you. that's a particular issue that you're facing that CN is isn't facing. Uh,
0: yeah. Is I that mean, there are. Uh, it's interesting. I think you know. I'm a gender queer person. And and if you don't know that term, genderqueer is someone who is queering gender, does what it says in the tin. Um, And so someone that might not describe themselves as a man or a woman, but sort of says, oh, I mix it together or Mm. I move away from it. People have so many different definitions. And for me, what was so interesting is because I came out young. I have never really been gendered as a man or a woman, I've been gendered as a failure. And Ray Spoon talks about this a lot, Ivan Mm -hmm. Coyote talks about this a lot. So you get hit with the stick of not doing it right. And so you you go out in the street and Like, say, yesterday was fine. Yesterday was really nice. Uh, I did get called ma'am, then I got called sir, then I called ma'am, then sir. But that's that's pretty usual. I'm pretty okay with that. Um, But then you go out and you get called dyke, and then you get called faggot, and then you get called freak and pervert, and you get spat on, and you get groped, and you get sort of told straight to your face that you shouldn't exist and that you're just not right. So going into a job interview and just being laughed at or like m- I put in the book, I went, I'm an opera singer and I did a masterclass and the very famous singer who was holding the masterclass, I stood up to sing and she looked at me, she went, what is this? Uh, oh, is it Telfin Jenkins. W- oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. It's the only one I know, that, just, I just need to check. <laughs> <laughs> I have some dish on her, but okay. later. <laughs> um, but so I think what what you get used to is the fact that um, I've, you know, I've talked about in the book. We had this idea in history of a gender hierarchy, and mm. you could be up the top of the ladder, or you could be down the bottom of the ladder. So manly, manly men, top of the ladder, you know. Uh, women, t- down the ladder. Women mm. not so good as men. People who couldn't do either, further down the ladder, because then you were exposing the whole thing as as yeah. being, you know, not quite sufficient, and also just the level at which, you know, you talk so much in your book that gender is there, sort of saying, everyone, you're not doing it right. Buy more products. Mm. Be more insecure. Be thinner, you know. Be and th- tall Exactly. You're just not good enough as you are. Um, And I think that's the insight it's probably given me, is Mm. being told by so many people you're not good enough makes you start to see all the ways in which so many people are told they're not good enough. Mm. And that sense of compassion that we could all be so much kinder to each other and Mm. just be who we are. And, you know, whatever. I'm not saying everyone should be genderqueer. That would be ridiculous. That would be as cruel as someone saying to me, you have to be a man or a woman. But it's that sensation that maybe we could just sit with who we are and not judge each other mm. or ourselves.
2: I think, I mean, I, I've had a lot of people tell me the reason you can never be a woman is because you'll never know what it's like to be a woman because I reaped the rewards of white male privilege, which, I, which is a thing. And, there, and, and I'm full disclosure, there, there have been, I think, a handful of key moments where... I was very aware of white male privilege, particularly when I entered the workplace. Mm. Um, in a strange way, becoming a male primary school teacher, it was almost a, you know, it was almost rushed through. It was almost mm-hmm. affirmative action, yeah, kind and of again, they needed more out. male primary school teachers. And at the time I looked like one. But the thing with, again, I'm not gonna speak on behalf of the trans community, which is <laughs> something that I don't think any person can do. Um, I, fe- you know, I was aware that I should have been a girl from the age of about three or four, mm. so straight away I was sort of moving through life, swimming <laughs> against a current, really, you know, those efforts to send me to Cub Scouts, to get me to play football, taking me to see mm. Bradford City, I was like this. Like, I was like that little cat, you know, in Pepe Le Pew, that <laughs> he thinks it's a skunk because it's got the... Pe- I was like that cat constantly trying to get away from masculinity, kind of like repelling it like oil and water, kind of like... And it just wasn't the one. And so I, was, I never really embraced anything masculine. And like Sian says, I was widely derided for it. People were like, what, it, what is this? You know, kind of, why is it so girly? And why do you speak like that? And why mm. are you dressed like Why are you playing with that? You know, why are, you, why are all your friends girls? Mm. You know, and, and so I think this, this idea that, you know, up until four years ago, I was running Manco for men. <laughs> it's it's, it's r- ridiculous because I've never, never particularly engaged with, men or masculinity or maleness however and I again I'm quite happy to discuss this there were times where I was able to infiltrate that mm-hmm. so you know that there were experiences not positive ones but experiences of male pe so I was able to experience the rituals of masculinity very close hand mm. you know I was able to see and um, be horrified by a lot of what I was seeing in those male-only spaces, seeing some of the misogyny, seeing what men do when there's no women around. And yeah, and some of it's horrible and some Mm. of it's scary. I I don't know if it... it, It's not a unique perspective, but it was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book. Mm. It was... it's a a perspective. Oh my God, that went really Hannah from Girls, didn't it? (laughs) I don't know if I'm the voice of my generation, but I'm a voice of a generation.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: I'm keen to make sure that everybody in the audience who has a question has a chance to ask a question, but um, I just wanted to um, ask one more question um, before I open it up to the audience, which is, do you think um, we're on our way? Does, d- do, we, do you feel like we're in a good place now and that there is the potential to move forward, or do you feel that there are, you know... I mean, obviously there are still many, many mm-hmm. battles to be fought, but does it feel... Do you feel hopeful for the future?
0: I think it depends on the day. I think the backlash we're currently experiencing is really frightening. Well, you both... Yeah, uh, both uh, pati- of were published before Donald Trump, for example. Yeah, so I'm just doing the American rewrites uh, right. for my book. And, you know, how? How on mm. earth... The, the level of hatred that that is unleashed and, and that bubbling, boiling torment of I would like to be hopeful and some days I am hopeful. What I am hopeful about is how hard people are working. That That gives me constant hope, the way that people are refusing to be cowed by this and continue to stand up for just... It, fundamental human rights, it's as simple as that. Do you believe that people are equal? And will wow. you stand up for other people who aren't like you because you recognize that we're all human beings? Mm-hmm. Um, it frightens me to see a level to which some people are now going, mm, but do we have to let Nazis have a voice? And you're thinking, I'm pretty clear with drawing a line on no Nazis, you know? So, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's kind of. <laughs> That shouldn't get a round of applause. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah, terrifying, really right? Yeah, um, the you idea know, that we're having to have these conversations exactly, again. Exactly. You know, you think our grandparents, you know, fought and died for that. And, mm. um, it's a
1: generational memory, though.
0: It is. It's, so I'm, I'm hopeful in people, mm. and I hope that with a combined strength that we can push through and make better on all these incredible advances we've had because they are incredible and I would hate to see them thrown away because we were unable to to bring our shared strength hmm. against hatred.
4: Gina? I think,
2: yeah, I mean, it, it's a backlash and it's one that is, it feels like quite a Western one in that particularly both in America and in Europe. We've had maybe 20, 25 years of sort of social growth mm. for all of the LGBT community and in some ways people of colour although I'm not going to speak on behalf of people of colour come and see me and Renier at our lodge there tomorrow um, <laughs> we'll be right here um we we've it was inevitable a backlash was inevitable we we made ground and there's that famous quote isn't it which is if you are if you are somebody who's always been superior then suppressed groups gaining a little bit of ground yeah. is mm. going to feel it's not pie though you know privilege is not pie Mm -hmm. there's enough for everyone and it's understand I can when I look at these frustrated sad little white men on that march Mm -hmm. in America I see the logic I see mm. that if you spent enough time watching Milo Yiannopoulos' YouTube videos, you would start to indoctrinate yourself. And it feels really cult like. Yeah. This kind of like, these people are coming for what's yours. Mm. And of course, we're not. We yeah. don't want what's theirs. There's enough for everyone. Mm. Um, and so I'm not surprised there's a backlash. It's scary. Mm. But then I'm looking around at this room of people mm. in Edinburgh who've come to see two trans people talk to try and maybe better understand us. Mm. And that's a great thing because we're going to need people who will stand alongside us in the same way that I am so happy to stand with my friends of colour and my disabled friends, you know, people who we're, we're going to need to back each other up, I think. Mm. Mm. Because, like Cien said, we've seen this before in Berlin, mm. you know, a period of liberalism followed by a period of fascism. And all these rights that we have my right to healthcare, my right to hormones, that could go tomorrow, Mm. like it has done in America. Mm. You know, so I don't take anything for granted, nothing, because these rights were not gifts. Mm. And, you know, when I saw a lot of my white cisgender friends kai -kai kaiing down with Theresa May at Downing Street, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. Kind of, she's just let the DUP in. Mm. They're not your friends. What are you doing? So it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, but it's Pandora's box, and the last thing in Pandora's box was hope. I don't yeah. think we're going away now. Mm. I think we've reached a saturation with trans awareness, and I think we will be referred to as the post Caitlyn generation. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, she's a terrible, <laughs> terrible role model, but the she's one thing Caitlyn Jenner did is there is there are very few people in the Western world now who don't know what a transgender mm. person mm. is. You know, she's, she's brought us little else, mm. but yeah. she was one of, possibly, is the most famous trans person there has ever been. Mm. Mm. And that's it now, the cat is out the bag. Mm. I don't think we'll go back in it, but now it's about the way the world has to adapt to us being here, Mm. and it will take some time. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, Thank you so much, both of you. Um, I'd now like to open up to the audience. I think we've got a roving mic, so if you want to um, stick hands in the air, and we'll get as many questions as we can. Okay, so there's somebody in the middle there.
4: To to, Juno. would you say that you were depressed during your childhood? And also, did your hormone therapy make you depressed? I ask because I have a, a granddaughter who is transitioning at the moment. Um,
2: the short answer is no and no. I consider myself really phenomenally lucky that while I have had mental health issues, you know, it, was, I was, it took me a good 20 years to figure out that's what a panic attack is. Um, <laughs> um, and so I had a brief... It's in the book I had about a year on SSRIs to sort out my anxiety, which was all very... Quite London-centric, actually. As soon as I left London, I'll tell you what, my anxiety mm. chilled out. London mm. is just stressful, yeah? Because um, you spent half your time in an underground tunnel. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not good for you. But um, no, so, but strangely, I've never had a depressive episode. Um, a lot of... You know, my anxiety kind of kicked in when I was around 12... And then very much resurfaced at the start of my transition. There was this period where I did have to question if transitioning was going to be a very destructive thing and if it was going to ruin my relationships with my family, with my friends, would I survive it? And so that was a real flashpoint. And I think actually the year I was on anti-anxiety medication was the year that actually I felt calm enough to make a start. Um, I was warned pre-Hormones, I was warned, oh, it's going to be crazy. You're going to be like a sitcom character. You're going to burst into tears and slap people. And literally (laughs) none of that happened. Um, What it has done is it's made me much more emotionally aware. I think pre-Hormones, I would have a general low-level seething. And I would sort of stomp around and just be in a bad mood the whole time. And people would be like, What is wrong with you? And I'd be like, I don't know, I'm tired. (laughs) And then (laughs) since going on, since starting my hormone therapy about a year and a half ago, it was kind of like, What's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm upset because you promised me we were going to go see that film together Mm. and you went to see it without me. And that's quite hurtful because I feel quite excluded. (laughs) And my friends are like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it is it's it, it's quite markedly different um, I feel a lot more chill actually but then I'm me for the first yeah. time in 32 mm. years so it maybe isn't a really big surprise yeah. that I would feel slightly more at peace but then Everybody reacts to hormones differently. It's a completely unique experience. And it's not for everyone. I know many, many
3: trans people who don't bother with hormones mm. at all.
1: Mm. Okay, anyone else a question? Yes, down in the front here.
3: Um, oh, great talk. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, inspirational. Um, I do want to make one comment on the last question that um, I went through the worst depressive episode of my life right before transitioning. And I think there's a very strong correlation, if not causation, in that the fact of me having taken control of my life in that way by transitioning or whatever your, was it, granddaughter has to do um, was a huge help and I have not had a depressive episode since so I just think supporting your granddaughter in whatever she feels she needs to do in her life um, is the best way to help her get over Mm -hmm. her depression. Thank you. And I is that yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask CN um, as a non binary person or do you identify as non binary Well, I don't I don't queer? use that
0: term just because oh, I say just because I, I have a long article on my blog. I, I don't use it because I've seen people use binary and non binary as a way of making another, another binary. binary. And um, <laughs> but if people want to use that then that's great. That that makes total yeah. sense for them. So I'm not anti, it's just not my favorite way of describing yeah. me. So, as yeah. a
3: gender queer person, mm-hmm. have you had to deal with? Because this is something I've experienced. The sort of, I mean, just sort of being called not trans enough.
0: Yes. Oh,
2: yeah. I, I, I know trans people who are foul about gender queer and non-binary yeah. people, and I'm so not there for that.
0: And it's just it, again, it's ridiculous because this is just not. I I feel for people who have had to. Uh, a little bit of background. So, mm-hmm. in order to get treatment. Uh, on the NHS or you know, previously treatment in America with sort of very small numbers of doctors were providing medical care, you usually had to prove so many different things. Uh, one of the things you had to prove in the early instance was whether the male doctor found you fuckable enough. I'm not even kidding. If women, uh, trans women, were deemed too tall, too heavy, too thin, or not pretty enough, they weren't allowed care. Uh, trans men, if they were too short, were not allowed que- care. Genderqueer people were thought just to be mad. So, you know, we just had to lie or get underground hormones. Uh, Leslie Feinberg in their novel Butch Blues talks about what it was like having to get your hormones and your surgery on the black market. It's really scary and it's a really good uh, read. Um, and then I think a lot of the people who did manage to get past those goalposts often had to internalize a lot of them and then turned around to people within their own communities and went, well, I'm a real transsexual and you're all making it up effectively. Um, And I really feel for them, but I think it's a heartbreaking thing to do to your own community. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at sort of numbers, I think Ruth Pierce, who's an amazing researcher, leading trans researcher in the UK, um, has found that about a third of the trans community is genderqueer, non-binary, agender, fluid, so different words and different ways of being outside of a gender binary, and that many people who are trans men and trans women might also feel that they're challenging a gender binary in different ways. So there aren't these clear lines. Um, some trans people have been amazing. I was so lucky that when I came sort of into the London trans community, uh, a absolute legend, Ros Caveney, who's a poet and an activist. She took me under her wing and she was my fairy godmother and she was heavenly and you know, she's a trans woman and she has never once made me feel less than. Um, The real problem I had was cis people. So I said I came out very young, but I didn't meet any trans people to be friends with uh, until my mid-twenties, so after I'd had surgery and after I'd done a whole bunch of activism. Because every time I went to an LGBT group, there were no T people there and there were just LG people telling me that I was mad and stupid and bad uh, and that no one would love me and that I was selfish if I had surgery and also a coward. So. I think the trans enough narrative is out there. I'm really glad to see the number of trans women and trans men standing up for us as well. So it, it's there, but I think it's not as bad as it used to be. Definitely not as bad as it used to be.
2: It's, it's a funny one as well, and I feel I'm super good friends with Fox and Owl, Fox Fisher and mm. their partner. And it's uh, sad that, you know, to the straight cisgender world they're trans... And to trans people, they're not trans enough. Mm. It's, it's to me, it's just mind blowing that Damped people if you do. and trans a lot again, sort of trans women that I otherwise really get on with, for them to sort of turn around and sort of say, "Oh, what are they like? Are they crazy?" I'm just like, mm. does that not echo your mm. experience? Like, can you not put these two things together and understand mm. that you're persecuting them in the same way that you get persecuted every time you mm. leave the house? It's nuts. But like Boy I'm bisexual,
0: so I'm used to having gays and lesbians turn their noses at me, so it feels very, very similar. Like You get the same argument. Make up your mind. Stop sitting on the fence. Literally the same words. So I think it's a little bit water off a duck's back by now, but I really feel for kids who are coming out. It's, it's mm. shitty, but we're standing up against them. Yes. Um,
1: two, one in the front row and then behind, if you're okay just pass the microphone back.
4: Um, to get back to what you were saying about um, the backlash and not wanting to you know, make all this progress and then have to get back in the books, I was wondering if uh, you've ever had a, a positive experience of um, talking to uh, a feminist or someone who was arguing the line of, um, well, you know, trans women, it's a threat to women's rights and a, you know, invading real women's spaces and all of that, you know, the standard kind of turfy stuff that seems to be c- becoming i seem to be seeing it all the time and i've maybe i'm just really crap at arguing against it but i've never ever been able to have a debate with someone who holds those opinions without them just getting more and more entrenched mm. like i've never seen that, those minds being changed like do you think that this is just something that's just maybe just going to kind of die out generationally maybe mm. these voices will get smaller or do you think there is a way of like arguing with these people, convincing these people? Because I've, I've never ever seen it, and I, I wish get, I knew.
2: I mean, as mentioned, I've recently... I'm on the 12 Steps recovery <laughs> programme from Twitter Spats, and the first one is admitting you engaged in Twitter Spats. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I, I've had, to think, three separate incidents where sort of... And it's so important to stress this is a tiny, tiny if very vocal minority of people who live on the internet mm. in darkened rooms and i tell you what as soon as you turn twitter off mm. they go away mm. these i mean it's worrying there's a couple of high profile ones working in the media and we know who they are and i'm certainly not going to draw attention to them yeah there. worrying yeah. Mm-hmm. but i don't think we can change their minds i think possibly oddly when sometimes when you meet them they're quite nice to your face Again, not naming names, but I ran into <laughs> I ran into someone at a mutual friends book launch and she could not have been much nicer and it's a bit like again when we think we've seen a lot of this with the events in Charlottesville last Mm -hmm. week there's not all that many racist people who will happily admit to being racist Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of those women think they're not transphobic and they think they're not bigots they just think they have the answer and this Mm -hmm. is the answer and it's about biology and it's about women's shelters and this is right and everybody else is mad and I have the truth Mm -hmm. and the problem with that kind of quite dogmatic thinking is that it's really hard to convince people of dogma. But then one of the things I've realised from writing my column for Glamour, which is, I mean, that magazine, it shifts upward of 80,000 copies a month. Um, it's read online on top of the print mm. sales as well. Um, it, the readership of Glamour magazine, it's largely women age 20 to 40. It's being read in... Derby mm. and Rill and <laughs> Abergavenny. <laughs> Nothing against and Abergavenny and, and Rill. And <laughs> all these it's been very widely read in suburbs, in cities, wherever there's a news agent, there is Glamour magazine. And I've realised that actually most people, because this is the problem, these people on the internet will say, this is the way that most mm. women feel. Mm-mm. And I am just brave enough to say it. It's what everybody else is thinking. <laughs> and w- well, what does that remind us of as well? Mm. Again, Charlottesville. And... Um, and then actually, but the letters and tweets and things I get from the readers of Glamour magazine is, oh, yeah, good on
4: you.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah, I really love your column, but um, I've got to pick my kids up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 good. I, I like shoes. <laughs> and you realise that most women just couldn't give two shits because they left the oven on and they left the house and they have got to get home because if they don't turn the oven off, the house is going to burn down. Mm. People have just got bigger things to worry about. Mm. And these quite transphobic people who have really got an axe to grind, mm. they're really grinding it loudly. But most people okay. don't even have the axe. Mm. They're not even, certainly not one to grind. They're just so busy going about their lives. And I think all I can do is, again, not enter into those arguments, but it's to just live Mm. just do it just Mm -hmm. be out there with all these women who are similarly worried about the fact did I leave the hair straighteners on because actually that's what as women I think that's what women are thinking actually (laughs) I don't think it's you know, oh my God, I would have just got so much done today if I wasn't worried about changing rooms
4: just,
2: I'm being evicted because I haven't campaigned enough against trans women, you know. It's, I just think it's, again, it's, Again, if you spend enough time watching Milo Yiannopoulos, that's Mm -hmm. what'll happen. And if you spend enough time getting into fights on Twitter, you will convince yourself, this is what all women are thinking. Mm. And since disengaging from that kind of discourse, and I know some of my friends, I'm friends with a a trans writer and activist called Sean Faye. Sean Mm. spends half her life getting into these Twitter. And I'm just like, here's a tip, go walk children in nature. Mm -hmm. Turn Twitter off, round up your friends, go for a picnic. Mm-hmm. and you start to see life very differently. Yeah.
1: I think we've probably got time one really quick question.
3: It's quite a big question, so hopefully it's <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> <sorry. Shit. laughs> I was just really interested to know what you think about um, um, trans being sort of lumped together with the whole LGBTQI grouping. I mean, I remember a time when I used to help run a, the, the lesbian and gay group at mm-hmm. my student union, and there was a whole argument about whether we would know, add the B to that. Mm. And um, I, just, I know Stonewall not so long ago had the yeah. same thing about whether trans was going to come under that umbrella. Mm. So I just wonder what you think about if you think it's a positive thing to be included. It's too big of a question. I think I'm it's so,
0: so glad you asked because I have a whole chapter about it. So thank <laughs> you. You gave me a chance to say. Um, basic point is the majority of trans people identify as queer in some way. So we can't like... Literally, depending on what kind of research you're looking at, you're looking at about two-thirds to three-quarters of trans people are not straight. Uh, So if we're talking about LGB issues, we're talking about trans people. If we're talking about trans people, we're talking about LGB issues. So that's the really simple answer. I think the the slightly less simple answer, but still kind of simple, the same people hate us, you know. If I'm getting smacked in the face in the street, the person isn't necessarily going, excuse me, are you uh, are you genderqueer? I couldn't tell whether you were, <laughs> you know. They just self... They yell faggot or they yell dyke or they yell pervert and mm. tranny or freak. They don't care. They just hate us. So can we not join forces against that, please? That's another Sean story from a couple of weeks ago. Sean put on Facebook
2: that a car had slowed alongside her and rolled down the window and screamed faggot and her response
0: was <laughs> you misgendered me <man>, I'm <laughs> trans <laughs> and I was like exactly so it's kind of you know it's terrible yeah and, you know, at one point I, I remember someone yelled faggot and I was like well at least it wasn't as misgendery as dyke <laughs> <laughs> got to take e- it
2: exactly what the end said I agree entirely yes. yeah. I'm
1: so sorry to have to say that we are going to have to leave it there um, both Juno and Cien will be signing books in the bookshop, and I'm about to take them over there now. And um, please, I urge you to buy and read both books and give them to your friends as well. They're fantastic, insightful, um, eye-opening, and also both beautifully written. And
2: very different. Yeah. And very, very, different very different
1: and complementary. So Which I think reading God. side by side is really... Yes, yes. The yeah. publishers must be very relieved.
2: Well, no, because oh. a lot was made of that that me, Cien and Rhiannon and Styles had books mm. out on the very much the same month but they're all they're three completely yeah. mm. different books by three completely different mm-hmm. authors who have one thing in common yeah exactly. and i think that's
1: sort of and almost that kind of you know sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it does it's part of the point yeah. is that you can't you know this is not a single experience this is a, this is a lot of different experiences that yeah as you say have, have one thing in common um thank you so much for an thank absolutely you. fascinating and thank hour thank you for coming and really as well. yeah, grateful thank you really awesome um, yeah sienna thank you and
0: More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Ed Book Fest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.